Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello, my friend. I hope you're having a pleasant day wherever you are. In my last episode with Erasmus Holm from MSD, we talked about digital transformation. I finally had the revelation that what that means is changing not just how we do things, but actually innovating what we can do in terms of the products and services we developed. This interview was recorded only a couple hours after that one and turned out to be almost an extension in the sense that Kristen and I ended up talking about the opportunities for life science companies around serving the healthcare needs of an aging population. Now, let's jump into my conversation with Kristen Apple. Kristen Apple is the president of Linus, where they recently published a report called Home is the Center of Health, which is what we're going to talk about today. Kristen, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm so happy to be here. I'm excited to have you. So we are all learning about the future of healthcare, in this case, largely in the context of older populations. You can tell us about the, the report. So I mentioned it. Um, it's called Home is the Center of Health. And of course, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. What are some of the key takeaways from that report? Sure. So Chris, I'll tell you a little bit about uh, first why we did it, yeah. uh, why we did the study. And then I'll talk a little bit about who we talked to, and then um, a few highlights, and why it's really important for us as life science marketers to really understand the implications um, of of the information that we gathered. So, so first, you know, the age group of 60 to 79 is the fastest growing population bracket that we have in the U.S., and um, their needs are going to change a lot between the ages of 60 and 79. So what we wanted to do is, you know, what's on their minds? How do they think about their health? How do they think about aging in place or aging on the go? And specifically, what can we as innovators really do to, you know, enable this really great quality of life as they move on beyond 80 years old? So we talked to a thousand different adults between the ages of 60 to 79 in the U.S via quantitative survey, and then did a really robust qualitative conversation style study as well to find out what's on their minds, what's happening, how do they think about aging in place, and what really will be home as the center of health, and what does that mean for them, okay? So we did this study, and we were shocked by a couple of different things. There were some myths that we definitely busted, and um, those were one is they're they're not old. Nobody's thinking about aging. Nobody is thinking about you know being decrepit or anything like that. Um, also, um, we found out that no matter what, how unhealthy they get, two in th- of in three want to stay in their home, even if they can no longer properly take care of themselves or have to be dependent on others. So. That's one big finding, right? In that we as innovators can really impact and and implement changes to what we're doing today to help them stay at home. Here's the procrastination part of the conversation. So while this population really does wanna stay at home, as they age, 
67% haven't done anything. And uh, we looked at different age breaks between that, between 60 and 64, 65 and 70, 75 to 80, and this, the same thing, 67%, so almost two thirds, have, um, they haven't done anything. So there's a time when something's gonna happen and they're gonna need to buy something, do something so that they can help stay in age in place. And, um, you know, one of the questions that we asked um, was really trying to understand what will you give up to be in your home, to stay in place? And it's okay to, to be monitored. It's okay to be tracked. And that was another myth that we busted when we went into this. We thought, okay, nobody's going to want to be tracked. They're definitely not going to want to have their Gen X daughter like myself, knowing whether they're opening the refrigerator or whatever it might be. But the answer is that's okay. So they're willing to give up some sort of privacy to be able to be at home. The other thing that we found out, and this, this is a, um, something important to know for life science companies is that their trust is really traditional. So at, as you develop and as you think about, you know, what, what that means from a brand perspective, they're trusting companies or healthcare providers like the Mayo Clinic, like Walgreens, so really traditional places where healthcare is delivered. That's another big finding from this. So companies like Google and Apple and Peloton, not trusted at all. Yeah. That's that's an interesting point in itself. I mean, newer companies who sort of built on data are funny. It's funny that may not be trusted as much as the companies that clearly are collecting data or have data or the ability to collect it, but have a different framing around them, right? Right. One of the things, this always comes up. This is, uh, I did a podcast earlier this year on CC Life Science about digital health and home monitoring. So I talked to Alfred Poor and he shared this story with me. He's, I think, reasonably older than me. His mom is a hundred. And he said, mom, how long, you know, and she wants, she lives at home six miles from her nearest neighbor. And I'm sharing this story, whether we include it in the podcast or not. He said, how long would you be willing to wait for help if you like fell down and needed assistance and she said two days and he goes well that's not acceptable but here's the solution he found there is a device that monitors water leaks in your home and you can set it up so he knows when she's turning on the spigot in the morning and in the evening and he can just see that pattern so he's not really watching her every minute but he he knows when she's active or not and that's the trigger I love it. It's such a simple solution, right? Yeah. To understanding and be able to know, you know, what's happening, what's going on, and how do we send help or how do we get help when we actually need it? Yeah. So, um, what are some of the opportunities and challenges um, for life science companies given that people want to stay in their home? Everybody seems to be expecting help to show up when they need it, even though they're not planning for it like somehow someone's coming to the rescue with a solution for me and yeah tell me about that sure so big opportunity is to be able to develop tech and resources 
that enable these older adults to be able to stay at home, to be active on the go, stay at home, and being able to really age in place. And um, you know, one of the big opportunities for life science companies is that because these active aging adults really do want to stay at home, there's and they're getting more comfortable with diagnosing themselves and doing at-home diagnostics, having remote care delivered at home. There's an opportunity to expand market from you know, traditional life science customers all the way through direct to consumer and direct to patient. And we're seeing a lot of um, you know, that kind of messaging happen and that kind of audience shift happen. There's a, there's a lot of room for improvement and we could talk about that in a minute, but you know, as our older adults want to stay at home, you know, even 65% of them we found in our study are really comfortable using wearable technology to diagnose themselves. Uh, the opportunity there is that 46% still want their HCPs to help, me, help them guide that decision. But if almost two thirds of them are comfortable diagno diagnosing themselves, that means that we can develop technology that is, you know, helps enable remote patient monitoring, uh, telehealth visits, diagnostics that are easier, easier, I'll say, to take at home than what's currently available because now <laughs> it's hard. So those are the real, as you're laughing. Are you talking about that little pink line? Is it there? Is it not? Right. We could fill a whole conversation about the pink line, right? <laughs> Yeah. How many pictures have we taken of it? Oh my goodness. Yeah. So this is interesting. Also, I, I told you I just recorded a conversation this morning about digital transformation. And it finally, I don't know if everybody will agree with this definition. It's never been quite clear to me. But this person um, is a Rasmus Holm from MSD. And I'm going to publish his episode right before yours. So this will work out. Um, it's. A lot of companies, you know, did a lot of things digitally in the last couple of years, more webinars and that sort of thing. But really, it's not interacting with people digitally. It's using digital in new ways for your business, which is what you're talking about here. Um, you know, new tech, there's opportunities there. So the take home for me was digital transformation isn't uh, how we do things. It changes what we do doing exactly. new things yeah so that was a revelation to me i'm probably the last person to figure that out thanks for spending the last 12 minutes with Kristen and me if you're still here it's probably because you're learning something stick around we're just getting started this format makes learning easy and convenient. Why not give your customers the same opportunity to learn from experts inside or outside your company that you have access to? If you're curious about what that would look like, I'll put a link in the show notes to my Calendly. Now, let's get back to it. Um, so aside from technology, what other kinds of innovations are required for success? So we need to innovate around education as well as care delivery. So, 
you know, we can develop all the technology in the world and say, okay, so we can just push this on to our, you know, our consumers, our patients, let them do these tests at home, let them do re remote patient monitoring. But what needs to come into that is, is education. So how are we talking to our patients or consumers or physicians about how to use this data? How do we interpret it? And um, that's really important. The other thing um, that needs to happen from um, an innovation perspective in, in care delivery, specifically as we're, we're thinking about this aging population, 60 to 79 um, and beyond, is what are all the other ways that this group is going to access care? So we talk a lot about um, care around the corner and um, you know, will the pharmacies step in and yes, Walgreens and Rite Aid, they are changing the way CVS, they're changing their footprint of their store to include more health resources and health access to practitioners in store. So why that's important is that, you know, as a life science company, we need to think about that audience. It's not only our clinician or the hospital leaders that we're trying to sell to or market to, but it's also all these non-traditional ways of delivering care, the care that's really outside of the four traditional walls of that hospital system. So whether it be the, um, the urgent care shop down the corner, around the corner, or the, the Walgreens, or even a survey that, uh, even a, a company that is like Dispatch Health that's delivering on-demand healthcare at home, these types of solutions and types of opportunities are, are really um, great innovations in the way to deliver care to this, this aging population. Yeah, it's just, um, a, I think there's an opportunity for a better customer experience. When I first heard about CVS getting into healthcare, honestly, I had some reservations. Just because- You and me both. Purely, <laughs> purely based on the checkout line. Having said that, I got my booster at a CVS and it was great. So I don't have to go all the way to the doctor's office and all the things around that. It's a simple procedure. They know I'm coming. I go in and I realize they have a couple of seemingly like exam rooms in addition to the room where I got my, my shot. But there, I think there's a nurse practitioner there and maybe we are thinking about you know integrating digital health and uh, should I say more routine procedures that only take a couple minutes. And so there's an opportunity for them and anybody who can work with them on those small things and then save the trips to the doctor's office and the hospital for bigger interventions. Absolutely. And do you know, I think the average waiting time to get into a primary care doctor in the United States is 90 days. So let's say you have something urgent or you want to check up. The reality of you actually getting an appointment when you need it is pretty rare. So what happened during the pandemic, especially, and it's still going, is that uh, patients or consumers were going into their local pharmacy, going up to the window and asking the pharmacist a question. How do I take care of this? How should I diagnose myself? Or what, should I, what medications should I take if I have COVID? So pharmacists really are becoming that trusted front line of care and um, patients aren't having to wait for their primary care doctors as long, right? Because they're getting that sort of intermediate 
exchanged. Now, we still absolutely need our primary care physicians and our clinicians, but the reality is they're really tough to see. But you're right, getting care inside of a CVS at first, you know, was a little a little concerning. But now, um, you know, storefronts are changing. They're they're having those exam rooms in place, and they're really changing the way um, that that people think about getting care at your pharmacy. Right. Yeah, I would totally go there again for a similar sort of occasion. Um. All right, this is the part of marketing we talk about the least on this program, so I'd like to change that, and that is understanding the needs of the customer. And in this case, talk about the needs of a doctor as they meet with a patient virtually or in the clinic when they're presented with data collected at home, which, you know, a doctor has enough to do with the data he collects from you face-to-face without you bringing in a notebook, right? A metaphorical notebook of this, that, and the other. Yeah, exactly. So our our primary care docs, our clinicians, they are they have so much on their plate, right? Not only do they have to see a patient every eight to fifteen minutes, but then they need to deal with patients like my dad, who will come in with a notebook of his readings from from his remote patient monitoring device, right? And this is happening every single day in primary care offices around the country where we as patients or consumers have more access to data, but nobody's really interpreting that data for us. So we'll go into our physician. Our physician, uh, she will look at the data and think to herself, I have seven minutes to deal with this patient and I'm not sure what to do with all this data. So, you know, as we think about, about from their perspective, from our doctor's perspective, they have so much on their plate already. They wanna do everything they can for patients. But when we come in as patients with a a whole notebook full of data or a print out of everything, or even a tiny screen that has all of our, you know, heart, heart readings, heartbeat readings from the last month, it's overwhelming for them. They feel stressed. They feel like they've let the patient down. They're also worried about those reviews that they get compensated off of some, by some hospital systems of how well of a job are they doing for their patient. So there's a lot going through the minds of our clinicians. And you know, when burnout is so high already, we need to think about as an industry, how can we make their job easier? So um, lots of opportunity there, but you're right. Thinking about what's actually happening in the moment of that doctor patient visit with all the data that we're enabling people to get, you know, how do we make that experience better for them? Yeah, whole new opportunity, perhaps in, you know, interpreting data, setting thresholds, because hopefully most of the data that comes in in the notebook is noise. And we're looking for the few things that really matter and we're going to act on, right? I mean, that's the problem with data, regardless of whether it's health or not, is the amount available is way more than the amount you actually need to look at, but it's like advertising. You don't know which one's important, right? I know, exactly. you know. So um, on the flip side of that, what should companies be thinking about in terms of diagnostics or devices that need to be used consistently and accurately in a remote setting? Sure, um, a lot from a perspective of that, a perspective of that user experience. So. 
think about, you know, what's actually happening in that patient's home or that consumer's home. So you have a box with a test in it. When they take the, the, the tool out and, you know, the sample, and they're trying to collect the sample, they have, you know, so many other things that are going on in their life. Think about that anxiety that that patient or that consumer might be faced with. Think about, you know, are my instructions easy to read? Does this look like a medical kit? And, you know, one of the things that we're doing at Linus is what we're calling the digital health lab. And each one of our teammates has a, uh, a wearable to try out or a diagnostic test that they've sent away for. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about, you know, our experience to date. And we are all very, you know, educated health consumers that work in this industry. I ordered from Everlywell. It came in a box and I could not prick my finger. <laughs> it was just a overwhelming, you know, I was, I was worried I was going to do it wrong. I had to get my 10 drops of blood on this tiny little card. And if I didn't have my son and daughter helping me, I'm not sure I could have done it. And I'm being a little dramatic, but we need to think about that moment, that moment of use, right? Where a patient is trying to, to do it at home. And so what are all the ways that we can help them do that? And, um, you know, we've seen some really good successes come out of, of products like Viome, who, you know, have a clinician on hand that you can do a remote visit with, you can do a text visit with, but where is that support? So um, there's a lot, of, a lot of ways that life science companies and healthcare companies can help give that patient what we call triage at home. So what is that intermediate step where your doctor's not around and how do we really help them at home? Yeah, the whole pricking your finger at home, one, there must, I know there's a significant part of the population that just no way, right? I'm just not, don't want to do it. See the blood, that's two. Three, as a biologist, you know, you're probably stressed out, like, am I getting this right? But maybe the patient just goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's unusable. <laughs> do I have to do it again? I mean, there's a gazillion levels of things that can go wrong. There really and are. And so as we push more healthcare down to the consumer, we really need to t take into account, you know, sort of health literacy, what's happening, how will they feel about it? And even, you know, us as educated health um, consultants, I just didn't want to drop the blood in the wrong place, right? I could prick my right. finger, but I was stressed yeah. about what you just said. Is it going to go everywhere? And am I going to be right. able to collect the right sample? Yeah. So I'm just picturing a world, you know, how like all our children have devices. Now all our grandchildren are going to have medical devices and say, you know, Grandma, I know how to do that. <laughs> Close your eyes. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, gosh. You're ready. I mean, it will give yeah. us an, an, the ability to have more control over our care. But I, I definitely want an educated professional a clinician to help, you know, bring me to that older age. Right. So let's wrap up talking about aligning those two groups, the doctors and the patients. How do we connect the experience of the patient and the doctors? So because the other challenge for the doctor now, in addition to the, the notebook, is having to become an expert on 
a you know a dozen different devices, a, a, and a dozen is probably conservative, right? Yes, a dozen times ten. Um, so how do we bring them together? And I really think that the responsibility um, relies on the corporation, the company, the startup that's developing the tool. So helping um, when you're when you're developing a test or when you're thinking about building a remote patient monitoring device or you know another kind of at home resource, we need to do that fundamental insight work to really understand if a, if a patient comes in with, with this RPM, this remote patient monitoring device, or we prescribe it for a patient, what are all the things that I as a clinician or me as a patient really has to think about? And so if the life science company or you know, as they're developing the product takes into consideration the user needs, both from a clinician's perspective and a patient's perspective, we can really design the product in a, a really compelling and relevant way. And again, I feel, um, you know, we talked a lot about the experience that we had with Everlywell versus Viome versus even the Aura Ring versus the Apple Watch. And you can tell which companies actually spent time on understanding the needs of their customer, whether that be a clinician or a consumer or a patient. Nice. So I'm sitting here thinking, like, I, I mentioned wanting to do more about understanding the customer. This is the first conversation I had. This is probably episode 169 or 170. I feel like a product marketer today. Like, we <laughs> usually on this program, we talk about messaging and tactics and strategy and so on. But today is the first conversation we really talked about, like, what can we make? What's the opportunity for new innovations for, for customers, because I'm assuming you're a marketer by background. I'm a scientist and turned marketer, but I've never, product marketing was not my thing, but now I feel like it is, so. <laughs> well, thank <laughs> My 30-minute <laughs> lesson in product marketing. 30 minutes, just think about what are they thinking, feeling, and doing at the moment of, of whatever test they're taking, whatever experience they're having. Nice. Well, Kristen Apple, this has been a joy talking to you. I will, of course, put a link to the um, to the report in the show notes and uh, your LinkedIn profile as well, if that's all right. Absolutely. And thank you Please so much up. for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you so much, Chris. My pleasure. As always, thank you for listening. And as always, I really appreciate it when you share this podcast with your colleagues. If you enjoy it, and I'm guessing you did because you're still here, you probably know at least two other people who would enjoy it as well. So pass it along to them, and I will be back in a couple of weeks with another guest. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.